Welcome to Ideas at ND, the official podcast for the Idea Center at the University of Notre Dame. This podcast features conversations with some of Notre Dame's most creative entrepreneurs and inventors. In our episodes, we dive into the stories, ideas, and people driving innovation at Notre Dame. In this four-part podcast, Brian Ritchie, Vice President, and Kathy and John Martin, Associate Provost for Innovation at the University of Notre Dame, and Tom Crotty, a Senior Advisor at Battery Ventures and a Notre Dame alumnus, discuss why Notre Dame established a separate for-profit venture capital investment fund, why it acts as the general partner and has external limited partners, how the fund is structured, and how other institutions of higher education can build something like it. Part one. Today, it's our great pleasure uh, to have Tom Crotty with us. And if you've seen previous webinars and podcasts from the Idea Center, you know that we've been able to uh, be very fortunate to have some very impressive guests. And, and Tom is, it, uh, fits that mold as well for us. He spent the last 35 years in the venture capital industry, has assisted in the building of early stage companies, primarily within the information technology sector. Um, he joined Battery Ventures in 1989 and moved into a senior advisor role at the firm in early 2013 after serving 12 years as the managing partner where he was responsible for managing all investments and operational aspects of the partnership. Over the last five plus years, Tom has become an active angel investor and he's built and managed a portfolio of personal investments. He received a BA in business from the University of Notre Dame. Uh, where he's an active alumnus and an MBA in finance from the Wharton School at the University of Pennsylvania. And if I remember correctly, Tom, you also played soccer at Notre Dame. Isn't that true? That, that is, in fact, true. Yeah. Seems like, seems like a million years ago at this point. <laughs> I'm sure you could play pro soccer even today, Tom. I don't think so. All right. Uh, we've got a number of, of topics here, and, and we hope that uh, we'll sp uh, spawn some questions from you as well. Um, let me start by just talking a little bit about the challenge that universities run into around commercialization. As, as many of the listeners today know and uh, others have had experience, universities are a tremendous developer of new technologies uh, coming from science and engineering and virtually all the other colleges on the campus as well. But the commercialization of those technologies is a difficult process. Uh, there's often a scarcity of early to very early stage funding. Uh, there's also very big regional differences. If I have a university inside of San Francisco or New York or Boston, uh, I probably have access to resources that say a university in the heart of South Bend like Notre Dame probably does not, uh, which creates opportunities but creates challenges as well. Um, Tom, why don't we start, you know, you were one of the architects of the ND Innovation and uh, Entrepreneurship Initiative in the, in the effort to create an ecosystem here. Uh, give us a little background on how that emerged and, and why it was created and, and what you hope to accomplish uh, with that. Now, it's a pretty long story, so I'll try to uh, summarize it in an efficient way, but it, the story begins back in uh, 2013 when I uh, was asked to join uh, uh, and co-chair with Tom Burrish, Notre Dame's provost, uh, a task force, form a task force that would take a look at research at Notre Dame. And uh, the reason Tom wanted to put that task force together was, was kind of simple. 
Notre Dame for, 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 for decades, uh, one of the pillars of our strategic plan has been a goal to be considered a premier research university. And I think that's an aspiration that, that many universities have. And it's a, it's a major challenge in terms of how to rise the ranks and, 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 and attain you know, the, the position of a premier research university. Um, to put some context around where we were back at that time, Notre Dame in 2014 had 182 million of total research expenditures. And while that sounds like a reasonable amount of money, um, if you took a look uh, at the landscape of US universities, there was at that time about 207 universities that were considered to be uh, in a group that had what was uh, defined as high levels of research activities. Within that uh, universe of 270, uh, that, and those 207, none of them uh, in that category uh, that had med schools, because the med school is a whole different ball game right. than universities without med schools. So we were in a group of 207 universities with high research, no med school, uh, and our ranking at that time was 69th. Now, if Notre Dame football was ranked 69th year in and year out, we'd be going through an awful lot of head coaches. Right. Um, and so, Tom, um, our research expenditures, which is the key metric that kind of helps, you know, uh, define where you sit in these rankings, um, uh, our, our research expenditures have been climbing, but, but on a, not on the trajectory that we knew was going to get us in any, you know, near-term uh, period to uh, premier status. So Tom convened, asked me to convene a task force with him to study our research programs and figure out what are we doing right? What are we doing wrong? How can we improve? How can we change the slope of the trajectory? Um, and that all, that, those discussions began in the fall of 2013. Um, we launched the, what was called the Notre Dame Research and Commercialization Committee we referred to it on campus as the RCC. Um, that was launched in, in January of 2014. And we put out and issued a final report in September of 2016. So this group of uh, 14 uh, members of the task force spent nearly three years digging through and understanding Notre Dame's research agenda and, and capabilities. And then in the course of that uh, project, we also had to roll in commercialization because you can't have a great research premier research university without being able to bring technologies and intellectual property and ideas into the marketplace and commercialize them. So it became kind of the RCC research and commercialization committee. Um, the final report had 24 recommendations in it. Two of the most important and key recommendations um, relate to today's conversation. And the first one was that Notre Dame needed to create a hub uh, or a centralized place in the university where all innovation, entrepreneurship, and commercialization could be managed. Um, it, those three areas, you know, innovation, entrepreneurship, and commercialization were kind of scattered throughout the university, um, siloed in a lot of cases, and we figured we needed a new model for how to bring this together. 
And that's so, actually really unique, isn't it, Tom? I mean, most universities do have that scattered all over. So the idea of bringing all of those things together under one roof and getting all the synergies of that together, that's a, that's a very unique and big step. It was, uh, and we felt it was going to be core to being able to, um, to drive, drive more aggressively and, 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 and faster. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that was the, that recommendation led to the creation of the Idea Center, um, which was within a year of that final report, the Idea Center was up and running. And I think you were already, in, uh, you were recruited and came to campus. Right, right. Um, so, so that was a, that was a major recommendation of the report. The second um, um, and related recommendation was Notre Dame need to had to kind of step back and rethink the funding mechanisms for commercialization and research, but mostly on the commercialization side. There were a few pockets of capital available around the university. Again, not centralized, not managed in a strategic way. Uh, And the recommendation in the report was, you know, we needed to to come up with a a new model and a new mechanism to bring bring capital to bear, uh, starting at the grant level, and then prototype level, and then alpha and beta, and then into the marketplace. And we needed um, a professionally managed approach to how to deploy that capital all the way through the various stages. Mm-hmm. Um, and that, you know, as you know, well know, uh, led to the decision to go ahead and uh, initiate a, a fundraising process to create a venture capital fund with Notre Dame as a general partner called Pitt Road. Right. Um, and, and here we are today. No, it's a, it's a great story. And I think there's a number of things that we ought to draw out of there that are, are really interesting. One was the thing you mentioned first, this willingness to bring everything under one roof. And there are real synergies in getting the entrepreneurship and the commercialization and the research connected together, all of that uh, moving towards having impact, right? I mean, because the mission of the university really at the end of the day is to have impact. And by the way, that's true for all universities. I mean, you don't, there's so much intellectual property that sits inside the university and never gets out. So the fact that that was its focus, and then as you mentioned, making sure that we had the right resources to move these things through milestones so we could do the de-risking and get it from that discovery all the way to the marketplace, right? So as a, you're a former managing partner of Battery Ventures. I mean, this is a hugely successful venture capital company. And why should a university be even doing this in your mind? I mean, you talked a little bit about how important it was for us to be able to have the right funding at the right time. And we're trying to connect this with a process, but you've, you've been now involved uh, doing this with us for a period of time. What are your thoughts on that? Well, you know, as, as we were going through the process of the RCC and then the standing up of the Idea Center and, and raising Pitt Road, we were, we're looking around at other models at other universities and, you know, quite candidly, there's no one right way to do it. Um, and there's many different models out there. Um, I know uh, we had some really interesting discussions with uh, the folks at Caltech about their Kairos Ventures Fund. Um, you know, MIT does it their way. Carnegie Mellon does it their way. There's, there's no one right size fits all a model here. Um, and a lot of it has to do with the chemistry and culture at the university. Um, we, Tom Burrish, to his credit, and, and to the rest of the senior administration, were very open-minded about what model Notre Dame might take. And we did, did our research. We looked at a few different approaches. 
And, you know, I don't think there's a more refined and more effective model than the pure venture capital, general partner, limited partner, uh, professional management team doing appropriate due diligence, managing a portfolio from start through, through exit. It didn't seem like we needed to reinvent the wheel, that that model was a, was a great model. And right. there was no particular reason that we saw why a university just couldn't adopt that model. Um, different, but, um, you know, in, in a way, I guess we're pioneering, taking in a very well-established model, but moving it into a new ecosystem that had tried many different alternative approaches, but very few had settled on this, this, this approach. Now, it's a great point, Tom. You know, I, I've noticed in our work that one of the things that has been a real benefit of, of adopting that model is it's allowed us to both transform that model a little bit and transform the way that universities think about this kind of funding. So for example, we don't have to say we're limited to a specific industry or we're limited to a specific check size or some of these things that venture funds are often limited by because we have a process internally as this is going along where we take small bets in technologies and then just pile on the winners. So the, the process provides the discipline that maybe a venture fund would have to find in other places. And yet we can use that same model to make sure we've got all the right incentives aligned with all the right stages, right? So we can get the right amount of money to work on the right projects at the right time and making sure that we don't have any waste. So we can prove things for very small amounts. And then if what wins um, goes forward, we can pile on and stay whole as a venture fund would do. So I, I think that we're seeing some really great uh, synergies and adv ad advantages from this in applying that model, but also tweaking the model a little right. bit. Yep. Um, I think that's all, that's all correct. Um, and one of the interesting things that we had to uh, really talk through um, as we were establishing the model for, for Pitt Road was, you know, is this just a university IP uh, program? Um, right. You know, Where's deal flow going to come from? If it's coming from outside the university, if it's come from the alumni group, you know, how are we going to deal with that? And I'll throw it back to you because uh, I think you drove the decision making around um, uh, how we should think about that and approach it. Um, because no venture capital firm is going to be successful if they have modest amount of deal flow. That's right. So I'll yeah. tee that up and throw it back to you. <laughs> no, it's a great question because, you know, it, it, there's certainly a handful of universities that are producing so much internal research that they wouldn't have this problem. Um, but there's a lot of other universities as they are building their research portfolio that are, that's going to take some time to, to actually create that critical mass. And so we said, and, and we, at the end of the day, everyone agreed that we should do this not only for faculty, but could do this also for student technologies. Uh, could do this for alumni technologies and, and even for the community. One of the real advantages has been that we've been able to start to build um, the relationships with local capital in this South Bend Elkhart region um, that's starting to build out this ecosystem from a technology standpoint. So I can see the day down the road where, you know, subsequent funds may do mostly factory research, but at this point in time, it's made a lot of sense for us to open that up a little more broadly. Right. Yeah, uh, and 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 talk a little bit about the uh, the deal flow um, in terms of those buckets. Uh, where are we seeing the most, and and where do we need to kind of improve our our deal flow? 
Yeah, that's a, it's interesting too, because each of those buckets bring deals at a little different stage of development. Uh, again, those that are really engaged in university research know that those early disclosures are really early and uh, they're very nascent and they need a lot of de-risking. And so we're working on a lot of those. I'd say probably 25% of what we're investing in now is coming from the faculty at the university and another 25% from students. Both of those buckets tend to be early, tend to need pretty substantial de-risking. Uh, but the ones that we're getting from the alumni and from the community tend to be a little further along. And uh, we're able to get them a little bit later in that process, which is allowing us to also set the fund up for success in terms of when we might see exits. And the fund has already seen one exit, as you know. It was small, but it was one of these that had connected to the community and had done some commercially sponsored research back to the university and had created a product um, that was a little bit further along. So right. we were able to see that exit happen a little sooner, which again, kind of creates a, a differentiation within the portfolio in terms of the maturity of the projects in which we're investing. Right. But, but I think I see that changing over time, but it's been a good place to start. Uh, just for context for all the attendees, uh, what's the size of our annual deal flow? How many deals do you look at in a year? Yeah, we see about 500 uh, at the top of the, of the funnel. And, and for all of those that want to know as well, the fund is 22.65 million. Um, so it's, uh, it's not a huge fund, but it's a, it's a substantial fund. We initially went out to raise 15 million and the fund was oversubscribed and we, we cut it off. We didn't want too big a fund to start. We wanted to make sure that we could place it appropriately. But we see about 500 deals uh, at the top of our funnel every year. About, a, about a 40%, 40 to 50% of those will fail at the first stage uh, of our analysis, which really is on intellectual property and uh, market size. And then in the second de-risking stage, we'll lose another um, 50% of the ones that go forward. And we end up with 10 to 15% that come out as really solid investable deals at the end. But we start investing earlier, but it typically tends to kill the deal, not um, finish the deal. The ones that come out are about 10 to 15%. Stay tuned for part two next week. Thanks for listening to Ideas at ND. For more information on this episode and others, visit our website at ideacenter.nd.edu slash about slash podcast.